before we jump into the, the like meat and potatoes of the message, I want you to uh, do me a favor, if you don't mind, to indulge me a little bit. Because I'm going to do something that I haven't done in a little while. I'm going to talk about something that I haven't talked about in a couple of weeks. But I always tell myself I'm going to stop talking about this. I always say, you know, Justin, uh, you, have, you have run that bit into the ground. Stop it. Move on. And then it just keeps coming back up. Like I keep thinking about it. So you're going to roll your eyes. Those of you who are here a lot, just bear with me. Um, I have a son who plays basketball. Okay? And he's really good. Um, yeah. And just so you understand why I'm doing this, there's a little bit of self-therapy because uh, he's on this travel team, and it's, it's a big, bigger deal than I realized. Like, this is my first time venturing into that crazy world, and they have their state tournament championships today. Uh, he'll be playing in, like, 40 minutes, and, uh, and if they win, they're in the state championship. And that's awesome, but I can't, I can't be there. I'm not going to be there. And even if they make it to the state championship, my daughter has a, a dance recital tonight, and she only gets one of those a year, so I'm definitely there. And so my son today, two biggest games he's ever played, and I can't be at either of them. So I need this for me, okay? So here's the deal. Liam's a really good player, really good ball handler, but if he has a superpower, he, the boy can, like, shoot a basketball. It's actually frustrating to get beat in a game of horse by an eight-year-old. It's, it's, and I played my whole life. It's frustrating, but it happens on a regular basis. He can shoot, and I have video evidence to prove it. So this is me and Liam shooting in the yard. He's not that fast. We sped it up. And that's a, a little further than the free throw line for perspective. And he just makes it, and he makes it, and he makes it, and he makes it. Over. And then, watch, he's going to miss this one. That was 15 straight, just in case you were counting. Um, then I make a really bad pass, and, you know, then he's just like, nah, I'll make it. Um, He's eight years old in that video. I know, guys. I'm excited about the future. That's all I'm going to say. Um, I don't know. I didn't give him much in the height department, so we'll see what God does there. Um, but it's funny. I, I, I'm one of those dads who's weirdly obsessed and, and, like, I videotape us practicing like that. And I do that for a few reasons. Number one, I'm that weird dad. Number two, it really helps Liam if I can show him things. So sometimes we'll do drills and I'll film it. And I'll be like, hey, Liam, this is what I'm talking about. And he can see it. He really, really helps him out. And that, that specific video, when I, when, I, when I watched it, I got really excited. And it wasn't because he made 15 straight shots. Sometimes you get hot, sometimes you're cold. That, that just happens. That's sports. But there was this one moment, this one moment in that, in that video that I was like, Liam, Liam, come here. Dude, you got to see this. This is amazing. This is awesome. And he wasn't as excited as I was because I'm that weird dad. Um, but I want to show you what it is. It's not the 15 straight makes. It's actually this one moment here where um, he misses it, okay, I make a bad pass, because that's, that's what a dad's for. And he goes sideways, but look, like, see, pause it. see his feet right there? You see how, like, just instinctively, like, that's, that's literally, like, perfection. Like, as soon as I see his feet like that, I'm like, he's going to make the shot. Because in basketball, a shot is every bit as much about your feet as it is the rest of your body. If your feet are in the right place, and you plant your feet, and they're, they're pointed in the right direction, and your footwork is right, everything else just follows your feet. And so when I, when I saw that video, I was like, Liam, come here and look at your feet. Look at your feet right there. Like you just, you plant, it was perfect. And he's like, okay. Um, I'm just like, wow, your footwork, son. It's pretty awesome. And then he went inside and did what children should do. You know, watch TV, played a video game, had fun. And I was obsessing over his feet in a video. So I, I promise you that this is going to connect in just a few minutes. I promise, okay? But we'll come back to this. So here's the deal. We're in a series right now called Standing Ground. And what we're talking about is a, is a concept that we see often in the story of Jesus. We see it all through, through Scripture, really, a lot in the New Testament. And it's a concept that we usually call spiritual warfare. The main text that we've been looking at, Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, says, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
And put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So Paul, the author, is saying that we are in a battle. And it's not what we think. It's not the world we live in. It's not what we see with our eyes. It's not flesh and blood. But we're in a battle, and we're in a battle that's spiritual in nature. Now, some of us might hear this and be like, okay, this is weird stuff, spiritual battles, spiritual warfare, evil spirits. We're talking Satan, demons, that kind of thing. And like, yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what we're talking about. And for me, I'll be honest, I don't always love that concept. I don't like thinking about that, but I'm a Jesus follower. So what Jesus says, what he teaches, that's going to that's gonna outrank any other idea that I have. If Jesus teaches it, if he says it, then, then I'm going to believe it because I am a Jesus follower. I have submitted my life to him. He's my, he's my authority. And there is, there is simply no way to read the story of Jesus. There is no way to read the teachings of Jesus and walk away with the conclusion that he does not believe in, in everything that Paul's saying here. That he doesn't believe that we have an enemy, a spiritual enemy. That he doesn't believe in, in Satan. That he doesn't believe in demonic forces. He absolutely does because he deals with them like head on. And the, the, the challenge I think for us where we're at in history and where we're at culturally as a church is we live in a time where even the church in America is trying really hard to separate the spiritual from the physical, to separate the spiritual from the practical. We try really hard to do that, and so it's not uncommon to, to hear a big push in churches where it's like, hey, we've got to focus on the practical stuff. But the, the challenge there is that Jesus never separated spiritual and practical. They, they went together for him. Like once he was asked what the greatest commandment was, and he said, love God with everything you have. And that, that's spiritual. Right? Love God. But then he says, oh, by the way, second thing, just as important, love your neighbor as yourself. So, so he takes the spiritual, love God, and he just connects it to what we would view as practical, physical, people. Jesus once said, what good is it if a man gains the entire world but loses his soul? For Jesus, the spiritual and the physical, they're not two categories that we, we bounce back and forth between. They're, they're one and the same. They go together. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, look, there is a spiritual reality. It influences your life. And a lot of it's good. God is in that. God does things. He blesses us. There's an overlap where God intersects with us in our lives, and we experience tremendous things, miraculous things. But Paul's saying, it's not just God. We have an enemy, and he is real. And he's organized, and he's powerful. He's not as powerful as our God, not even close. But take it seriously. Stand your ground armor up. He's not saying, by the way, that there may be a slim chance that one day you can encounter some spiritual resistance. That's not what he's saying. If that's the case, he'd be like, you know, you don't really need to armor up, per se. You know, just, just be watchful. No, he, he believed that absolutely 100%, whether we realize it or not, we are in a battle. We will encounter spiritual resistance all the time, and we need to be prepared daily. And so he starts talking about this, this armor of God concept, this metaphor. And it's, it's Paul saying, hey, don't be afraid, don't be worried, because you've been equipped. So yes, you're in a spiritual battle, but you've got equipment. God has, has given you resources and tools that you need to rely on. And he uses this armor metaphor to help us understand that. We've talked about a few of those. We talked about, about the belt of truth a few weeks back, the breastplate of righteousness. Last week, we started talking about, about the shoes. And the shoes are, are a little different. Ephesians 6.15 says... For shoes, put on the piece that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Most of the other pieces of armor, it's just it's one word. It's faith. It's salvation. 
It's truth, righteousness. But the shoes are the shoes of peace that come from the good news of being fully prepared. <laughs> Doesn't quite come out the same. Some translations say put on the shoes of readiness that come from the gospel of peace. And so really what we have here with the shoes is we have two concepts. We have readiness, being prepared for whatever God has for us. We talked about that last week. And then we have peace, which we're talking about today. If you would have asked me a few months ago, as we were doing the initial planning on this, hey, which, which piece of armor do you think you might spend two entire weeks on? Um, I would have said none. We're just going to do one a week. In fact, for a while, we thought about doing two a week. And that's just because we've been in Ephesians for a year, and I'm ready to be done. Um, but, but no, we're like, no, this is important. Let's, let's really take our time with it. Um, but if you would have said, if, if you're going to do two of them, which one are you going to spend two weeks on? I would never have guessed shoes. I should have, because there's two of them. But like... I never would have guessed that because we're talking shoes. It's, it's a pretty basic concept. Right? <laughs> but, but I'm really glad that we are talking about shoes for a few weeks because here's the deal. Just like that video of my son, you guys remember that when I showed you that, when he made all the baskets? Um, just like that video, like it's all about footwork. How can you expect to stand your ground if you don't have your feet planted where they belong? So we can't stand our ground if we're not standing, and for that, you, you need your feet. Your feet are your foundation. Your feet are what keep you stable. They're what, they're what gives you balance. And if we're going to stand up to our enemy, if we're going to stand our ground, then our feet have to be planted in the right place. So I'm glad we're spending two weeks on this, because it really is all about the footwork. The Bible says that we, we're supposed to put on the shoes of peace. I want to be clear about what it's talking about here. It's not talking about you not having conflict with other people in your life. That's, that's going to happen. And that concept we call unity. We want to have unity. We've talked about that. We had a whole section of our study on Ephesians all about unity. You can look that up. What, what we're talking about here is like inner peace. It's the kind of peace that Jesus promises in, in John chapter 14, verse 27. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. By the way, if you read scripture, you should, a lot. If you read it, you are going to hear God say a lot, don't be worried, don't be afraid, just don't. And every time I read that, I'm like, oh, okay, thanks. Like, that's, I, I appreciate that advice, you know, don't be afraid. Oh, now that you put it that way, I'm not afraid anymore, you know. Don't be worried. Oh, cool, thank you. It's, it's, it's so funny how something that we struggle with on such a regular basis, God says, do not worry and do not be afraid all the time in the Bible. It's almost like he knows us. And he knows how much we struggle with fear and worry. But he just, he looks at us and says, don't, don't, don't even. Not even a little bit, don't. Don't be worried, don't be troubled, don't be afraid because I've given you peace. John 16, Jesus reiterates, I've told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have trials and sorrows, many of them, but take heart because I have overcome the world. When Jesus talks about peace, he's saying that, that we will have this deep contentment in our spirit. A deep contentment that the world cannot offer us. I was doing some, some research on the, the Greek word that we translate peace, and I was looking in a concordance, which is like a, like a dictionary for Bible terms, basically. And, and one of the definitions, as far as our faith is concerned, of what peace actually is, is this. The tranquil state of the soul, assured of its salvation through Christ. And so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot, of whatsoever sort that is. You guys, if you could leave that up for just a moment. 
couple weeks ago, we talked about the breastplate of righteousness, how we've all been made right with God. If you weren't here, listen to that. We've been made right with God. So when it comes to your relationship with God, Jesus took care of that on the cross. You're good. You don't have to earn it. Doesn't mean that you, you can't do things in your life that affect your ability to enjoy it. But you don't have to earn that. That's been taken care of. You're good with God. But it's that second part, content with its earthly lot. That is something that we struggle with. That's something we struggle with. Are we, are we content with life? Do we have peace with life? You guys can, can take that down. Statistically, no. If we're going to look at the statistics on, on our nation, our culture, peace, contentment, not something we're good at. Time Magazine published an article last year that said 40% of Americans are more anxious than they were one year ago. 40% more anxious. So it's, it's not going in the right direction. About 18% of our population, which equates to tens of millions of people, by the way, 18% of our population struggles with, with some type of anxiety disorder. 7% of our population, 7, 7%, that's almost 10%, severe depression. That's the opposite of peace. If you're anxious, if you're worried, if you're stressed out, if you're afraid, if you're depressed, that is, that is not the peace that Jesus is promising. And our nation has an epidemic, and it's on the rise. And we can't figure it out. That's the, the really interesting thing. We have more treatments and medicines for anxiety and depression than we have ever had before in the history of humanity, and yet the numbers just climb. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's not medical. Please hear this. Sometimes people are like, oh, he's saying don't take the pills. No, if you doctor prescribed you a pill, take, take it, okay? <laughs> but I'm just saying it's not only medical. It's not, because remember, Jesus, he never disconnected the spirit from the physical. It's, it's both. And, and if we have something that's both spiritual and physical, but we're only addressing the physical side of it, we're never going to be over it. We're never going to be done with it. Because there's a spirit behind it. Could it be that our nation struggles with a spirit of depression, a spirit of anxiety, a spirit of worry, a spirit of discontentment that leads us to lack peace? I believe that, that Scripture would say yes. And if that's the case, then we can't address it in just physical ways. We have, to, we have to get to the root. We have to deal with the Spirit. And here's where it gets kind of challenging for us who call ourselves Jesus followers. Jesus promises peace. Promises it. I give you peace. And the peace I give, by the way, the world cannot give you. There's no pill that can give you the peace that Jesus offers. There's no yoga class that you can take that's going to give you the peace that Jesus offers. There's no, there's no version of that peace that's out there. It's just Jesus. But the challenge is that, that we're Jesus followers. Most of us would say, I'm a Jesus follower. And what do we do if we're not experiencing that peace? What does that mean for us? Because if I've been promised something by God, but I'm not walking in it, I'm not experiencing it, then that's a problem. Either God's a liar, or I'm missing something. And i got to figure that out when that's the case. Because I'll just be the first to admit that I am all too often easily frustrated quick to, to be stressed out of my mind. And I'm, I'm even kind of proud of it. Like, like, when I ask someone how they're doing, I never, almost never hear someone say, I'm at peace. I'm at peace. Like, everything's going, like, I'm just, I'm good. God's good, and, and I'm at peace. Almost always I hear someone say, like, I'm busy, really busy. I'm good, but busy, and then quickly 
dive into a major problem in their life, you know, which isn't peace. But like I do that all the time and I actually take pride in being busy. So someone asked me how I'm doing, I'm like, I'm good, I'm busy. Let me tell you all the things that I've got going on. And that's not peace. <laughs> Defining yourself by how busy you are, that is not peace. Can you imagine if you would ask Jesus, how are you? And he's like, oh, I'm busy. I, I got like three years to save the world um, before they kill me. And uh, after they kill me, I just got to like raise back to life, you know, just normal stuff. Um, but Jesus, he didn't do that. See, I'm not, I'm not at peace. I, I, I cannot say that day by day, I'm living that peace that Jesus describes. And that's a problem for me. And I, I imagine it's a problem for many of us. And so my, my question this morning is, can we just deal with this? Would it be okay if we took a Sunday and just dealt with it? Like really dealt with it and then left and we're like, okay, we get it, we're dealing with it. Are you guys all right with that? Are you all awake? Okay. Some of you are like, I'd rather not. And uh, I get it. Because I'll be honest with you, the last thing I wanted to do this week was prepare this message. I hate these messages. These are the worst. I love, I would love it if today was just like Jeremiah 29, 11. God loves you. He's got a great plan for your life. Woo-hoo. Um, but when you go through scripture and you don't skip stuff, then you're like, oh, great. It's a message that's going to force me to take a long look in the mirror this week and deal with all my stuff. I didn't want to do that this week. But that's where we're at. And as I, as I prepared and prayed, I'm like, God, let's just deal with it. Let's, let's like really go there this morning so that we can actually have this peace that God promises us. Why don't we have that peace? And the answer is really simple. Because we are divided as people. We're divided. See, division is the opposite of peace. It's the opposite of peace. In fact, one of those scriptures that just says, hey, don't worry about anything. Philippians chapter, chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. Then you'll experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The message version, which is a, a, a paraphrase, not a translation, but it does a really good job with, with, with these, these scriptures here. It says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. And before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Now, it's interesting that in the message version, you don't even see the word peace, even though it's there twice in, in, in most versions. But what it does say is God's wholeness, his wholeness. And that's, that's interesting and appropriate. Because if you are divided as a person, if there is division in you, and you're pulled one way and, and then pulled another, you are not living at peace. People who live at peace are people who live resolved, there's, there's a wholeness there. We see a lot of language in Scripture talking about a, a life that, that wavers. It's never connected to peace. So, for example, Ephesians 4, verse 14. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. You see that, that language, tossed and blown about. Back and forth. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 24. Don't listen to God's word. Don't just listen to it. You have to do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. It's this picture of someone that like, looks at themselves, goes back, goes back, goes, I, what, what do I look like? Oh, that's what I look like? Go back. What, what do I look like? That's not, that's not peace. Every time I read that, by the way, it makes me think of the gym that I go to. And there's like, if you're one of these guys, by the way, just stop. Um, there's these guys who like, 
look great. Like, you got, your muscles are huge, and you know your muscles are huge. It's not like a mystery. You can see them. And they'll, like, do these, these like, things, and, and then they'll look in the mirror and, like, flex. And it's, like, it's probably not that different than it was 13 seconds ago. You don't have to check in on your arms after every set. You know, it's just trust that it's, good things are happening. You know, whatever. But it's like this looking back and forth in the mirror. And you know, I'll tell you this. When you see someone who looks back and forth in the mirror over and over again, do you think that's a secure person? Is that a person at peace with themselves? Having to check their reflection every 10 seconds? Like, am I still, am I still looking good? Ooh, I still look good. Okay, cool. Um, I gave up on that a long time ago. It's like, just avoid mirrors. It's so much easier. Um, there's just this wavering that's described, going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That is not peace. That's division. And we, we miss out on the peace of God because we live divided. We have, we have divided hope. Jesus says it really clearly in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. You'll hate one and you'll love the other. You'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And he uses money as this example, but, but we could use a lot of things. There's a lot of things that if we're really honest with ourselves... If I'm really honest with myself, we would say, hey, I'm totally putting my hope on Jesus and this other thing. I'm trusting Jesus for for my life. I trust Jesus to solve my problems and be there for me. But in case case Jesus is busy, I've got a good five-year plan. I've got an idea. I, I have this career. I have this job. I have this bank account. I have this relationship. I have this addiction that I, to be honest, it, it makes me feel good. I have, I have this escape. I have, I have all these other things. And remember, this is talking about our feet, shoes of peace. It's like we've, we've planted one foot on Jesus, but we've put another foot on something else. And if we live like that, we waver, because here's the, here's the truth. Jesus is, he's solid. Matthew chapter 7, he says, anyone who hears my teaching and does what I say is like a person who builds their house on solid rock. Okay, so, so Jesus, you can plant your feet on Jesus and you're, you're going to be good. That is, that is a firm foundation for life. God is often called in scripture a rock, a refuge. Satan is called the prince of the air. So we live in a world that's aligned with Satan. It is. And if we, if we have one foot planted on the rock and another foot planted in air, that's a problem. Because you can't actually plant your foot on air. You can't do it. And, and if Satan's pushing against us and we're supposed to have our shoes so we can, we can stand our ground, try to stand your ground like this. Like a three-year-old could push me over right now. You know? You can't do it. And we don't think of those terms, but that's what we do. When we have anything that we put our hope in that's not Jesus, it's like we're saying, Jesus, I got my hope in you. I'm planting my hope in you and this. This is my plan B. And I have found that in my life, when I have a plan B in my mind that's not God, a lot of times that's actually my plan A. And God's my plan B. I like to convince myself it's the other way around, but sometimes it's not. It won't work. It's divided hope. It's divided hope. And if you live divided, if you live divided, you will not have peace. Because I'm telling you, Jesus, he is the, he is the, only, the only foundation you can build your life on and trust it. 
And when it comes to asking the question, am I doing that, here's, here's a good way to know. When you're stressed out, when you're worried, when you're anxious, when you're fearful, what do you turn to? What do you think about? Like, what do you think, man, I, I need this. I hope this happens. I've had a rough day, and man, I really hope that, that this will happen. I can go to this, and I know it will be okay. There have been a lot of times in my life where the answer to that question was not Jesus. I had a really hard day. I'm really stressed out. I, I just need this. And whatever that might be for you, if there's anything that you think of, like, oh, I just need that, I'm telling you, at least one of your feet, at least part of one of your feet, is planted on something other than Jesus. And you will not have peace. Now, this is when it gets, like, really convicting. Don't worry, we're not done yet. And just, again, so you know, I don't like giving these messages because it's convicting for me. And I don't like, it's not fun to convict yourself, okay? It's like being your, your own defense attorney and prosecutor. You're like, writing these messages is hard. But this, this, this actually gets really convicting because what we have to understand is that Scripture talks about this dual hope in very intense terms. It does not use fluffy language. This is intense. And if we want to have peace, we have to own this and move past it, which God is so good and he lets us do. But this is, this is convicting stuff. Now, I will say this. As Christians, as Jesus followers, we should be people who are very hard to offend, very easy to convict. We should be very difficult to offend because we've been forgiven of everything. Like, it's fine. If you really believe that, that God has forgiven you of everything and then through no effort or merit of your own, you've been given salvation, eternity in heaven, a relationship with God despite your sin, you didn't do anything, you just believed in Jesus and put your faith in him, like, that should make you a really hard person to offend. It should also make you a very easy person to convict because it shouldn't take much for you to go, yeah, of course I have issues and problems and I'm, I'm grateful when they're pointed out. Have you ever met someone who's really hard to convict and really easy to offend? Ever meet that person? I mean, I'm not saying they're not a Christian. I'm just saying they should think about that because that's like the opposite of how we should be. And sometimes in the church, it's really easy for, for us to like avoid things that might be convicting because we're so worried about offending. But, but if we're followers of Jesus, we should be hard to offend and easy to convict. Proverbs talks about how a wise person welcomes correction. And so when we read scripture like we're about to read, just, just remember that. Because the truth is, divided hope, from God's perspective, is, is it's more intense than we might imagine it to be. It's actually what Scripture describes as divided loyalty. Divided loyalty. It means that we are unloyal. It's like spiritual adultery. We see this in, in James chapter 1. Verses 5 through 8, he says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. It's like having both feet planted on Jesus, right? Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. There's that person that we've talked about, lacks peace, wavering back and forth. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. It's a little intense, right? 1 John 2, verse 15, Do not love this world, 
nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. If you have one foot planted on Jesus, but then there's this other foot that just really loves the, the world and like trying to do this, John is saying it's not going to work. It's a bad idea. James gets really blunt in, in chapter 4. If you've ever read James, being blunt is not like a problem. That, that he, he doesn't struggle with that. He's not a non-confrontational person. I actually really appreciate that. And I appreciate the fact that James is a really short book because if it was like really long, it'd be hard. But listen to this. And, and, and hear, hear me. Let this sink in. This isn't meant to discourage. It's not. But let these words sink in. Because this is the Holy Spirit speaking to us. He says, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. When it says world, it's talking about the values and the gods of this world. The things that our world trusts in. That's whatever, whatever you trust in, that's your God. He says, do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. It's really intense. That's, that's what divided loyalty, that's what divided hope, that's what it really is. Now, pay attention to that last part. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. We all fail. We all make mistakes. We all, we all place our trust and our hope in, in false gods. The reason that idolatry is the number one commandment listed is because it's the most common sin. Like we tend to read the Ten Commandments and we get to idolatry and we're like, yeah, skip that. I'm, never, I'm not going to do that. It's so easy to make something that's not God into a God. To put our trust on it, to plant our feet on that and say, this is what I'm counting on. That's divided loyalty. And it does not work. And it will not lead to peace. And if your loyalty is divided between God and anything of this world, you will not have peace. Not lasting peace. So what do we do? Let's just end right now. Everyone seems like they're in a great mood. Let's go have, enjoy our Memorial Day weekend. Um, two options. Two options. We can either confess it and move on. Confession is powerful. I've actually experienced some incredible things just through confession in my life. 
had a time where I hadn't heard from God in a long time. Months had gone by, maybe half a year, where I was like, God, I feel like I'm getting nothing. And then I realized something in my life, and I just confessed it. And the moment that I confessed it, it came out of my mouth. It was like, God spoke. Confession is powerful. It's like you unplug your ears, you experience things. When you confess, you move your foot back to the the right place, back to Jesus. We can either confess or we can try to do what many many Christians do, what many believers do today is is we can try to, and they have forever, like try to to find a way to reconcile what we're doing and, and what we value and figure out a way to make it fit with our faith and act like they go together when they don't. Try to reconcile two things that do not go together whatsoever, which will not lead to peace, by the way. Because there's some things that just don't mix with God. They just don't go together. So we can either confess and move on, or we can just try to do like mental gymnastics and convince ourselves that, no, 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 this, this is okay, because really, for me, I see God more like, like this. Does that make sense? Try to reconcile what, what can't be reconciled. I'll, I'll give a really intense example. And I'm sorry for the intensity. I'm going to stop apologizing for that. Um, so, like abortion. Let's take something that's real hot button in culture right now, okay? Before I say this, just understand, I have friends who have had abortions. If that's something you've experienced, none of this is meant for shame at all. We actually have a ministry here called Healing Hearts, which is all about, uh, it's led by women who have, who have gone through abortion, have had abortions, and it's all about bringing healing and counseling because there's grace and there's love. There's not judgment for you there. But we, our culture right now is talking about abortion all the time. And, and the reality is, I'm talking about this because there's things that just can't be reconciled. They can't with God. There is zero, like zero, zero, zero way to reconcile the concept of abortion with our faith. They don't, they don't go together at all. And I know that like some of you are clapping and some of you not, and that's okay. I also understand that this is, there's a lot of voices I would just have you listen to the voice of God above all. And, and I'm not saying that there's zero reconciliation just to make some political statement. I'm saying it, like, like this is important for us to think about with our faith. This is a great example of how some things just don't go together, okay? And I'm not just talking about like the, the weird logic of how a fetus is, is human and it's alive, but we don't consider it a human life. Like that's weird. Um, and like all the heartbeat stuff that people have been talking about with the heartbeat bill and all that, it's, it's like, it's funny, if you, if you passed out on the ground and uh, we have to make a decision to send you to the morgue or to send you to the hospital, you know? I don't know if those are different places or not, but just go with me. Um, like, if, if your heart was beating, you'd probably prefer we send you to the hospital. You would be like, my heartbeat counts. I'm still alive. Well, then why does that heartbeat not count? But we don't like to think about that. But, but here's my point. Like, that, that stuff, forget all that. That doesn't even really matter. The reason, the ultimate reason that, that you can't reconcile abortion with our faith is that the entire premise of our faith is that salvation came to us through the hope of an unborn child. Our entire faith is is because there was an unborn child that offered the promise of of everything that God had for us. If you read scripture, God is always, he's always speaking destinies over unborn children. It happens in Old Testament, it happens in New Testament. There's a child in the womb and God is saying not that this who knows what this child will be? No, he's like, this child, name this child this, because this child will do this, this, and this. That unborn child has a destiny in God's eyes. You know the very first person who worshiped Jesus? The very first person who ever responded to Jesus? It was John the Baptist as an unborn child. 
John the Baptist was a cousin of Jesus, and when, when, when his mother was in the presence of Mary, the unborn John the Baptist leapt in the womb. So there's just no way to reconcile those two things. It doesn't mean we have to be hateful with the world if they disagree, and we always show grace to everyone, period, always. But we have to understand that there are things in our faith that just, they don't, you can't like mash them together. They don't go together at all. Well, the same is true of, of, of whatever we struggle with. There are certain things that you can't reconcile together. They don't go together. They just don't. There's so many of my behaviors and my actions and my struggles and my attitudes and thought patterns that just don't belong in me. And I can either try to reconcile it and try to convince myself that, no, 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 this isn't that big of a deal and keep one foot on Jesus and one foot in the world. Or I can just confess and move my foot over to Jesus. And I can just say, Lord, I am sorry for cheating on you. God, I am, I am sorry for worshiping the false God of, of, of my own ideas, of my plans. God, I'm sorry for making this other person in my life, this relationship that you created, you blessed me with. I'm sorry for, for, for making that my rock and not you. God, my addictions, the, these, these behaviors, these destructive behaviors that I go to to cope with life instead of going to you, I'm sorry that I've cheated on you with a bottle or with a computer screen. Scripture is so clear on this. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But this is awesome news. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. I love scripture like this. I used to hate it because it calls sin wickedness. And I don't like that word. But then it says it's gone, it's over. Do you realize that when you can, this is what it says, when you confess your sins, you just call it what it is and you say, Lord, forgive me. He's like, okay. Yeah, done. You ever have a fight with someone and you ask for forgiveness and they say yes and you kind of like don't know if they really forgave you? They're like, okay, I forgive you. You're like, but, like really? And you're sort of doing this with God? You call it what it is? He's like, forgiven. And then you're like, if you bring it up again, he's like, I don't, I don't really understand what you're talking about. The scripture says he takes our sin and he places it as far as the east is from the west. He throws it in the ocean and it's dead and it's buried and it's gone. He forgets it. It doesn't exist to him. And all we have to do is be faithful to just call it what it is and own it. And when we do that, it's like we're taking our, our feet that are spread apart. We're putting them both on Jesus. And when you put both of your feet on Jesus, you stand firm. The apostle Peter, he, he planted both of his feet on Jesus, so to speak. He put his faith in Jesus and he was able to walk on water. That's, that's how strong faith in Jesus is. He'll, he'll hold up. So here we are, we're going to wrap up. Because we have two people getting baptized, which is awesome. We've got to celebrate that. Today is a day where every single one of us has an opportunity to just to move our feet a little bit. To move our feet. And, and recognize what we're talking about for the intensity that it is, but also recognize it for the simplicity that it is. Yes, it is intense to have divided loyalty with God. And yes, that's a hard thing to admit. And yes, that, that might be the reason that you struggle with the peace that you struggle with. But all it takes is one moment of honesty where you just say, God, I'm sorry. And you just move your foot back and he's, he's like, okay, we're good. Just like we, we sang out, here's my heart, Lord. 
Here's my heart, and here's all that's in it. And you know it, and here it is exposed before you, and then you listen to what he speaks over you, and it's love, and it's life, and it's grace, and it's peace. So put your shoes of peace on. (laughs) Matt just said, I thought my volume was down. I think that's the worship team telling me to stop, so let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. I love this church. I'm so grateful to spend my Sundays here, Lord. And Lord, I I believe, I believe that you are doing work in this place right now. That Holy Spirit, I believe right now that there are people who who are shifting their balance and shifting their feet and choosing and deciding to take one foot that they've planted on the world and move it to you. And we know, Lord, that when we do that, you are faithful and just. And you meet us where we are. And you give us grace. And you give us mercy. And you give us love. And you give us peace. Lord, fill this church with peace. No more turmoil. No more anxiety. No more worry. No more fear. No more depression. No more stress. That is not from you, Lord. But give us the peace that you promise. Help us put it on like shoes on our feet. Help us stand for a minute. We pray all this in your name. Amen.